I'm Michael Kist of Bleeding Green Nation, and I invite you, gentle listener, to join us for the best analysis of the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles in the business. BGN Radio provides you with the most informative preview shows, and the Kist and Solak show dives deep into all the schemes and X and O details you could ever want. Plus discussions with the industry's brightest minds, including former NFL players and press conferences from the Eagles coaching staff to keep you up to date and informed every step of the way. Subscribe to Bleeding Green Nation today. Fly, Eagles, fly. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score a hockey goal? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys! The Flyers! Broadstreet Hockey Radio! Turn that shit up, you motherfucker! Broadstreet Hockey Radio! everybody how you doing well that's grand <laughs> oh god that's so bad <laughs> i guess we're changing everything oh, up tonight no. oh we've been guys. sitting here we've been sitting here for at least a half an hour yeah talking about a lot of stuff that was not sports and that was that was your best australian accent someone should apologize in advance for what the show is going to be like because i have a feeling welcome to broad street hockey radio that's right game of thrones radio my name is bill Matz, and i am your director of fun and games for the evening uh we have a lot we have a lot to get into tonight uh, apparently some of it's going to be about hockey. Uh, Maybe no, we'll see. No, we have a, we have a good show planned for you tonight, so I want to get right into it. Uh, let me introduce you to the panel. First and foremost, my broadcast partner in crime, the Australian Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. I just won at Sudoku, so oh, it's I like am. tonight's a good night. Good, <laughs> you're prepping for the show. Oh yeah, no, I'm totally ready. Game of Thrones this season was terrible. How's your night going? The fly by herself, Kelly Hinkle. So on the walk here. Today, I found on the ground on Market Street a beer koozie, which reads, Jim Britt's second day with the Stanley Cup, August 28th, 2017. Because evidently, a member of the Pittsburgh Penguins front office is a Philly guy, and now I have his beer koozie, and he can suck it. You hear that, Jim? You're not getting it back. Yeah, it's mine now. <laughs> Last but not least, the man who is leaving us. For- no, he's not leaving us. I'm kidding. Uh, you read it on Twitter this week. He is joining the Athletic Philly. He's going to be running the Flyers coverage over there. Charlie O. Period. Connor with an E. Thank you very much, Bill. I appreciate that. Uh, so I do want to make it clear because there was, I think there was a lot of legitimate confusion on social media and on Broad Street Hockey and everything. I am not leaving Broad Street Hockey Radio. I am staying on Broad Street Hockey Radio. I'm just no longer posting any articles Breaking on news, Broad Street Charlie Hockey. is now leaving Broad Street Hockey Radio. You this is shut your whore mouth. This oh is my crazy, God. guys. It's because he hates Eric Lindros. Bye, Charlie. <laughs> so the show will go on as as it is. This is not changing. I'm it just... was going to be a real pain in the ass to find another Charlie. I'm going to be honest. That would have really sucked. Except now we're one-fourth behind a payroll, so get your credit cards out, folks. <laughs> it would be very nice if you like what you hear on the show, and if you like what I write on Broad Street Hockey, it'd be very nice if you subscribe. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Now, it's time, Philadelphia. It's time for you all. You've been complaining about the coverage in this town for a long time, and to be honest, some of the beats leave much to be desired. We all love Charlie. He's very deserving of this job. So go sign up. Like, this is cheap as hell, and it's worth it to have a venture like this uh, in this city, and Charlie's going to represent the Flyers very well. Speaking of representing the Flyers, uh, let's just get right into it. News of the day. Number 88, Eric Lindros. His number is going to be retired in a ceremony January 18th. I believe it's against Toronto. It is. Yes, the he Toronto Maple Leafs. He played for the Maple Leafs. Yes, the Toronto times. Maple Leafs coming to town. Uh, Eric Lindros' number 88 is going up into the rafters. Uh, he got into the Hall of Fame last year, so it looks like this is the best possible time. It's about time. This was a no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, first of all, no one was ever going to wear 88. Yeah. No, never. I always wondered if we, if the Flyers win that, uh, that what, 07 draft lottery with Patrick Kane at the top, if he gets 88 like he gets in no. Chicago. No? No, you f- balding ramen head. You don't get that number. <laughs> no one here can wear that number. I have a 
flush head of hair. <laughs> no, not Patrick Kane. He looks oh, like he has ramen noodles. He's on got his head. ramen noodles for hair. Okay. Yeah. I just, look, he's the first overall pick. He's a superstar. Mm. He wears eighty-eight. You would think. I care not. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm j- okay. All right. But uh, it really, uh, it was. It's a long time coming. Eric Lindros has had. One of the all-time storied careers in this franchise, not all of it great, uh, uh, quite a bit of tumult. Uh, it was it was interesting while he was here. Everything from his arrival here sat out the very first year of his career uh, after he was drafted by Quebec. Flyers ended up trading, uh, you know, the entire franchise for him, basically, including Peter Forsberg and Ron Hextall. And uh, he comes over, he's an immediate star, ends up winning uh, an MVP, ends up getting to a Stanley Cup final. And then, of course, we know what happened. The concussions derailed everything. Uh, He ended up sitting his final year with the Flyers, awaiting to be traded, eventually ended up with the Rangers, and just kind of played out the string with Toronto, ended up in Dallas for a time. Uh, He was dubbed the next one. Right away, he was supposed to be the next great player, and when he was on the ice, you absolutely saw it. Uh, but as Charlie alluded, alluded to pre-show, there was a lot of time he wasn't on the ice. Yeah, and the point I made because this got <laughs> Kelly especially very angry. Yes, the point I made is that I got into the Flyers during their 1997 Cup run, and because of that. I missed, like, the four years of Lindros being unreal. And the back half of that run, it's not that I didn't like Lindros. I obviously appreciated how good of a player he was. When he was on the ice, he was awesome. But it just seemed like, I, I feel like my memory of that period is just constantly rolling my eyes like, oh, God, not again. Like, not a, not another Lindros situation. And I was a kid. Like, in retrospect, I shouldn't have been rolling my eyes when the guy has a collapsed lung. But it's just like, oh, this is another thing that's going to keep him out for a key part of the season. And not, it's not to say he wasn't an awesome player. It's not to say I don't think he should have his number retired. It's not to say I don't think he should he should be in the Hall of Fame. I think he was a no-brainer, and I think he's iconic for this franchise. But for me, he's just not a guy that, considering when I jumped into Flyers fandom, I have a lot of like super duper ultra, you know, you know, nice feelings about. Like I like him. I'm happy he's he's getting his his due. But he's just not somebody who like like I have much better feelings towards Simone Gagne than Eric Lindros, and that's just because Simone Gagne has like. A different level from my fanhood and when I got into the team. And Gagne, while what, he only got to one final in 2010, correct? Yeah. He still had several runs where, like, there are moments, goals you can point to, like, memorable moments for Simone Gagne. And Lindros is objectively a significantly better player than Simone Gagne. Yeah. But it just kind of comes down to, like, when you jump into a, when you jump into fanhood. They had that one cup run. In 97, but other than that, it was a team that serially underachieved considering who they had. You said before the show you were a LeClaire guy. And And Desjardins. Yes, there has always been a part of me, and it's because growing up, uh, you were either a LeClaire guy and you thought Lindros was soft, or you were a Lindros guy. And all my friends would taunt me, because they know how much I loved 88. And they'd be like, oh, yeah, he's knocked out again. And I would get so angry. Like, we would fist fight over this stuff. (laughs) Well, you know what's really cool and really funny? Traumatic brain injuries. Really cool, really funny to joke about, folks. Well, we were kids. Like We didn't know what a concussion was. The NHL didn't know what concussions no. were. Well, they it was did, a very but, you know, bad they time. Didn't tell anybody. But uh, it was, uh, I will always appreciate Eric Lindros because uh, more than what he did on the ice, what he did for the actual Flyers, to me, he brought my generation hockey. Like, my friends and I, we all played street hockey every day. Like, that's what we did. It was, like, the sandlot for street hockey in front of our houses. But, like, none of our parents were into hockey. They all, like, I guess grew up during the Broad Street Bullies, but it wasn't their thing. Our dads were Sixers fans and Phillies fans and Eagles fans. The Flyers were like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, Canadian rednecks skating around. And then Lindros comes to town, and the next thing you know, my dad's buying tickets. And it was a big deal to have a player who was that hyped. And that's what I'll always know, like, I'll always think about Eric Lindros, is that I, this is what I do now. <laughs> like, I talk I talk about the hockey team in the fly. Yeah. Is this true? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I can very definitively say that Eric Lindros changed my life. I would not be doing this right now if Eric Lindros hadn't been a thing in Philadelphia because he's what got me into this game. 
I don't have this experience at all. Well, I'm old, so. Well, I, I was, what, we said, John, you asked where, how old I was in 96? Yeah, 1996. 96, I was 10 years old, um, living in North Jersey, and you know what they were showing in North Jersey in 1996? That disgusting animal Scott Stevens, I'm assuming. Yes, yes, him <laughs> and, and Marty Brodeur and, and criminals. And, criminals yeah, all. That was still that was still Prism era ninety six, right? Yes, like you I said believe it was. There, I remember having no local Prism. Coverage. Yeah, like I remember my friend, my best friend Amber Rendina had Prism and I used to go over to her house <laughs> to watch hockey games. I had the same friends. We did not have Prism. <laughs> Yeah. I would go. I would go to. I don't even know what you guys are talking about. We go to like because I grew. Up, I, when I came, when I moved here, I was and it was the perfect timing too because I some the reason I got into hockey was two things: the Mighty Ducks, which is silly, but it was '94. I got my, a ton of I, that it, worked. Listen, it drove me. My I made my mom take me, and I was hooked after that. And then it ended up that I just picked the Flyers after that. So <laughs> and then we landed. Smart there. move. But like I remember going 45 minutes to uh, or 35 minutes to a friend's house just because he had prison. That's the only reason why you could watch. The Legion of Doom. That's the only reason why. I, I, it, it, can I just say, it blows me away that you said Simone Gagne. And I know it's because you're younger and you just like, I can't comprehend that. I'm, I, I, I love the 2010 run. That memory always will stick in my head. And like, Simone was always, always, always the dude during that time. But Eric Lindros changed hockey for Philadelphia and not, for not the just game, here, yeah. the, the game entirely. Like, the maybe he didn't live up to the next one, but. He was completely different, a completely different hybrid hockey. Like, he was the new wave of hockey player that you hadn't seen before. I so. maintain that if he played today, no one would be close. No. And it comes down to one thing for me, the composite sticks. Well, that, and they protect too, him better. Yeah, he wouldn't he have been allowed to have been hit. too damn tall for the time. I remember seeing Zdeno Chara play for the Kentucky Thoroughblades, and he's coming across the blue line looking down because he's seven feet tall and his <laughs> stick's too damn long, so there's no way you can feel the puck on a wooden stick like that and getting killed by John Druce. Like, had to be carried off the ice, killed. And that's what I always think of Eric Lindros. A couple of years later, if the technology caught up to his size, mm-hmm. uh, his career would have been totally different. And the rules of the game. Yeah, I think Steph I mean, nailed it. Yeah, Scott Stevens gets put in jail for that hit today, and it wasn't necessarily the most dirty hit. Like, I've seen Chris Pronger do a thousand hits dirtier than that. Yeah, but we that. like him, so. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just saying, like, there, there's a it's an open ice. It's kind of a charge. It's kind of an elbow. It's kind of head contact, but, like... I've seen dirtier hits than that one. Well, it, it just it, happened to basically end Eric Lindros' career. Yeah, it career. would have been targeting the head, which yes. is a penalty, and not only a penalty, it's like a major penalty that gets you thrown out of the game. Like, there's a reason why we, you know, up until maybe, what, like, 20, like 2007, 2008, like, those hits were still being used in highlight reels. Like, it's only about five years that we stopped being like, hey, you know that time Paul Correa, like, almost died on the ice and came back and scored? Like, yeah, that's, that's, maybe not, cool. that's maybe yeah. not something we should celebrate. Hmm. Yeah, that's why I get... I get I mean, that was Scott Stevens' entire thing. That's what he did. Yeah. That was his game. And for some reason, we're still referring to him as one of the best defensemen ever to play the game, which is a bunch of horse shit, if you ask no, me. It was within the, it was within the rules. Like, it was mm. defend your blue line. They, they, they won. They won. That's It worked. Oh. Or do we want to get started on the friggin' dead puck era in the mid-90s? <laughs> just, it was I know. Horrible. I'm just saying. But Colorado bad. and Detroit were going back and forth playing ridiculous hockey. So, like, there was a little something for everybody. I guess. But, uh... Eric Lindros uh, appeared today on the Carlin and Reese program right here on 94 WIP where we record uh, at their studio. Very kind of them. Uh, but uh, there was a couple of clips I wanted to play. Found very interesting. Just some uh, some good stuff John has cut up for us. Yeah, and this is the uh, just when the initial call from uh, Holmgren about the news today. I had no idea what Homer was uh, was calling about. And if you've ever spoken with Paul, uh, you know, he, he kind of keeps a, a pretty even keel with his voice and, yeah. and his demeanor. So you just, you know, you, you just never know. But... Uh, Certainly, extremely happy to, uh, to to hear his words and look forward to January. It's I'm just more than anything. I'm happy the relationship is is fixed. Yeah, uh, and I found it really funny that he said, you know, when when I see it's Paul calling, I didn't know what he wanted to talk about, and I brought up I, I found the story from 2012 right after the alumni game in the Winter Classic. Uh, <laughs> Holmgren called Eric Lindros and was like, "Hey, uh." What do you think? You got a couple more in you? (laughs) He actually thought that that was a feasible thing because he went out against 70-year-old men and, like, played pretty well. (laughs) I'm, I'm more pleased that Paul Holmgren actually does stuff. 
That's, he makes the important phone calls. I want to get into that later. That I is not doling a, out terrible friggin' contracts. Yeah, I have a question about Ron Hextel that relates to that, but we'll get to that later. Oh, boy. Uh, this this next cut, John, is uh, this is the bitterness one? Uh, yeah, we can uh, Yeah, we can definitely uh, go into that about just kind of uh, how he uh, left it behind. I just think back to, to receiving a phone call from Homer and, and getting involved with that outdoor game and coming back to, to Philly and uh, getting a chance to be uh, be in front of the, the group, the fans, and to be part of it again. It was, uh, it was a bit of a void, and uh, it's something now that uh, because of uh, Homer steering the ship and, and the way that he has, it no longer exists for me. I like that he credits Holmgren there, saying, like, this was a relationship that needed to be repaired. Someone, like, even though there's absolutely blame on both sides, like, Bobby Clark just came from an era where he was like, what is the matter with you, kid? Like, why can't you just go play with a concussion? And that's who he was, because Bobby Clark's one of the toughest sons of bitches to ever lace him up. He just didn't understand this diva-esque superstar of Lindros, and it just totally... Fell apart. Well, it was and, that, and then it was also the lung thing. And I, and I yeah, think, they put him on a plane. Yeah, well, it was because basically Lindros, understandably so, called out the doctor who said, "Oh no, you're fine." And I think Clark's view was that, okay, well, even if it was his fault, like you don't you don't call him out in the media. That's not the hockey way. And Lindros was like, "Well, like, he almost killed me." Yeah, Keith Jones literally <laughs> saved his life. Like he was going to die. Yeah, they pulled him out of a bathtub, passed out. Yeah. Like, they said the only reason he even made it that far was just incredibly high pain tolerance. Mm-hmm. They're like, yeah, uh, we, he probably shouldn't have even got out of the locker room. Jesus. But, uh, you know, he's he's a beast. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many fans, I think, that were fans during that era who still hold this kind of weird resentment towards Lindros for being a baby and a diva. And it's like, if you look just a little hard at how fucked the organization was back then— it, it, he didn't do anything wrong. That's, he got hurt. This has been a poorly run organization up until about 2014. Yeah, pretty bad. <laughs> well, so here's the question. What has changed? In in terms, so we know the GM has changed. We know the president has changed. And obviously coaches, but is medical the staff the same? Uh, I don't think it is. Well, I, think, I mean, they have, they have, con- they have contacts with like, as Bill's talked about with the Nolan Patrick injury, they have contacts yeah. with you know high end doctors like in the Philly area, but doctors that are viewed as the best in their field across the world. And from what I gather, like Lindros in his Hall of Fame speech thanked everyone in the Flyers training staff yeah. except that one dude. No, he made mention a couple of times in the interview today of Jim McCross and made sure to say like you know uh, I want to see the strength and conditioning coach, yeah, or yeah. head athletic. Athletic trainer. Head athletic trainer. Whatever. Yeah. He made sure to mention him a couple of times. And we have one more, John. We've got all you want, baby. <laughs> uh, yeah, I this wanna... is. This was. Uh, I, I thought this was kind of funny of his first time. Like, oh yeah, this describing was uh, coming to Philadelphia after the uh, trade here. I'd never been to Philadelphia before, and, and and I sat in front of the TV and listened to to where uh, the arbitrator was sending me. It was in a short time later that on a plane and and, and down to Philly for the press conference and. Uh, uh, you know, we're at the hotel, and I came down with a couple of my friends to be there and to take it all in. And we're walking down the hallway, and and there's Will Smith walking the other <laughs> way down the hallway. And we're just, you know, three kids from, uh, you know, from the Toronto area, London area, and, and, and thereabouts. And uh, you know, that's how it started off. That's so great. <laughs> that is a, like it, a super cool. It story. is, and it's it's funny as hell. I wish I had a better recollection of the acquiring Lindros, like. Mania, uh, like how? Yeah, like why was Will Smith there? <laughs> that was my next question. Why was Will Smith there? That's I don't a, remember him being around the Flyers when I was. Yeah, young, was he just know? like he hanging was in a around? hotel? He didn't he say he was in a hotel? They were walking down the hallway, and the, maybe they just happened to be in the same hotel as Will Smith. I guess. Oh, yeah. I, I assume that they were talking about the Wells Fargo Center. Oh, maybe that too. But I mean, he was a partial owner of the Sixers, so I mean, maybe Will Smith was hanging out. Well, that was pre Wells Fargo Center, yeah, right? That was, was a still spectrum. spectrum. Oh yeah, it was. Don't listen to yeah, me. I, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's it's, far. It's just the house that Lindros built. Folks. It is. Uh, it, this is the third time now we're getting to honor him. Uh, go, that alumni game was a very special moment because it really was the first time uh, he was going to be in front of those fans uh, since it all fell apart. And then, of course, he had the the Flyers Hall of Fame ceremony with John Leclaire, and that was a very special moment. Uh, going to that press conference, one of my all time like. One of the coolest things I've got to do since I've like started doing this. I was just so pumped about that. And now the number goes up into the rafters, and it finally is that closure. Uh, he talks about how in this uh, later in this interview, 
How, yeah, it does, like, kill him. He, it does kill him that they never got one. They never got to raise that cup. Eric Lindros' name isn't on the Stanley Cup. But he did have a Hall of Fame career. Oh, no even, I, I looked at it the other day. You know, he actually played more games than Peter Forsberg. Is that right? Yeah. Doesn't doesn't surprise me because Forsberg was hurt all the time, too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, he ended up with 20 fewer points and, like, a handful more games. And, uh, like, to think about their two legacies, how Forsberg, surefire Hall of Famer because he's got a couple of cups and is considered one of the greatest of that era. And Lindros has that caveat of hurt all the time, whereas he actually played more games than Forsberg. Well, I think it was also that, like, yes, Forsberg was a top 10 pick, but Forsberg didn't come in with the hype that Lindros had. So yeah, he what, developed so, into a great, but he wasn't the next one. Exactly. So unless Lindros became the next Lemieux, he was always going to be viewed as a disappointment because yeah. of the insane hype. Whereas with Forsberg, you know, yeah, you hope a top 10 pick is going to be good, but when a top 10 pick becomes Peter Forsberg, it's like, man, this is just gravy getting this guy. This guy's awesome. I was trying to think the other day of guys who've come in with this kind of hype and, uh, Crosby definitely Man, had that Crosby, kind of Crosby and McDavid. Crosby yeah. lived up to it. Yeah. It's hard to believe. And it looked like he had that three-year period where he just couldn't get right. With the concussions. With the concussions, and yeah. it was like, oh, man. And he'd already won one before that. But now he's got three, and he lived up to it. And McDavid, two years in the league, he's got an MVP under his belt. So it looks like it's... Hockey's weird in that it's very transferable. Like, they, you see these guys coming... And it's like, oh, yeah, like, Jamarcus Russell goes number one, and he's the biggest bum there's ever been in, like, the quarterback position. Yeah, but, position. like, did anybody think Jamarcus Russell was a game-changing talent? Like, probably the last game—the the last guy who was drafted number one in football who you thought was going to be this next superstar is Andrew Luck, and, you know, maybe he hasn't quite lived up to that, but he's still a very good quarterback— with hockey, I agree that generally speaking, the guys who come in as like the next great one, they don't bust, which is interesting. And just kind of a, a quick pivot. I was sort of thinking about this before the show. Obviously, you can't compare the talent levels. You can't compare the hype. But I, I, I do hope that fans think back to the Lindros situation and think back to like how a lot of fans kind of got frustrated because he's always hurt and called him soft and things like that. And I almost want to look at it as like, Hey, maybe this is kind of a do-over with Nolan Patrick. Like, if Nolan Patrick gets banged up, nice. so- if Nolan Patrick gets banged up sometimes, let's not peg him as soft and rip him. Yes. If like when he's on the ice, he's awesome. Let's just be happy if we get an awesome player who maybe only plays sixty-five games a year, but when he plays, he's amazing. And let's not like pin that to his character. That just accept that for what he is. Like, I just, I don't know. It just, it's an interesting thing because like Nolan Patrick is very hyped. Nolan Patrick also has the reputation of possibly being injury prone and obviously Lindros was injury prone this is good advice Charles I like it let's all do that let's just be happy about having Nolan Patrick on our hockey team let's and let's move on to some of these uh, national uh, season previews now training camp just a couple of weeks away and uh, the hockey news yearbook is out Uh, NHL.com did the uh, 31 and 31 of the Flyers their season preview so I want to get to some of that stuff I want to start with uh, the THN uh, yearbook uh, review was written by old friend Wayne Fish. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, just to start, <clears throat> predicting sixth in the Metro and missing the playoffs. Behind the Penguins, Caps, Jackets, Rangers, and Canes, with the Rangers and Canes getting both wild card Damn. spots. Uh, mm. I mean... Eh. I could say it. It's totally possible. Yeah. This team, while I expect them to be better, I still think there's teams better than them. That's 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 what it comes down to. And with the way things are now... Three teams are gonna make it from the Atlantic. It's gonna, and they have Tampa, Toronto, and Montreal all representing the Atlantic. They only have the the minimum three, both wild cards coming out of the Metro. But I can see this happening. Do we think the Blue Jackets are sustainable? I that was gonna say that. I don't know. I don't know whether John Tortorella Tortorella loses a room pretty quick, and I don't know whether he's got the capacity to keep his sanity for another season. It's very possible. I I think they were definitely, they definitely overachieved last year. Yeah. I think they're still a good team. Yeah. Now. And they're getting better too. Yeah. Like, but would I be shocked if the Flyers finished higher in the standings than them? No. Like, I would be shocked if the Flyers beat out the Penguins or the Caps. Any other team in the Metro, you could, well, except for, let's let's just leave the Devils out because they're pathetic. Uh, (laughs) But like any other team in the Metro, you could tell me the Flyers will finish above them or below them. And I'd be like, yeah, I could see that. Yes. No, it's definitely uh, 
it's definitely bunched, and I don't think any of those teams are light years ahead. Uh, if if Bob has the same season, the Blue Jackets are in the playoffs. Are, are we looking at the Hurricanes as, as a, a threat this year? Or have they gotten enough talent? I, I mean... I'm pretty high on them just because their biggest problem last year was goaltending, and they got Scott Darling, who I liked. The big thing with with them is, you know, if Scott Darling is good, if Scott Darling takes what he did as a, you know, super backup in Chicago and carries it over to Carolina, there's their one weakness fixed. Scott Darling has also never been a starter. So if Scott Darling falls flat on his face, then they end up in the same place they were last year, and they probably miss the playoffs. But the rest of their team, like, they have good forward depth, they have great defense, like, They've got talent. They've got maybe the best penalty kill in hockey, and they got yeah, half decent power play. Like, yeah, they're they're a playoff contender as long as they get good goaltending. And I mean, I, as a Flyers fan, I'm praying that they decide to start Cam Ward for 50 games again. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Be fun. I don't know why they would do that after giving Darling that big of a deal. The uh, the open of this article mentioned the 10 game winning streak, which I honestly, someone mentioned to me on Twitter the other day, and I was like, no, that was two years ago. That it does feel like forever ago. <laughs> it really that does. It's like a lifetime ago. But apparently, no, it was it was it was 2016, no, it was, yeah, it was yeah. December, and, January. Yeah, and uh how uh we've, the we've Flyers... all we've all aged dramatically. <laughs> oh my god, season. ain't that the truth? And how the how the Flyers became the first team to win ten in a row and miss the playoffs. I kind of like at the time when they talked about how like they were in trouble of becoming that first team, I was like, that's just kind of one of those random things but it's been mentioned to me by by like more than one person so i want to know like looking back do you feel that that distinction of winning 10 in a row and missing the playoffs somehow like makes the season worse or more of a failure i think it's just like one of those anecdotes that people like to point out it's just who cares we won 10 games then we missed the playoffs all right imagine if they went six and four in that time and at another time went two and eight yeah who cares it it all evens out yeah it, I just it's something that the beat writers are going to hold on to to say that they were right um and, and really it's just like a talking piece and and it's dumb it was like the two <laughs> weeks of fun we had last year and then it all ended and then we all died slowly on the inside <laughs> i think was, it, yeah yeah i think it would have been different if they like during that 10 game winning streak if they were actually playing awesome hockey during that 10 game winning streak like they were yeah, winning they and it was fun but they were getting outshot. Yeah, Steve Mason just played some of his best hockey. Yeah, like they happen to have good goaltending. Their power play was on fire, and they were scoring timely goals. And like, yes, that's fun to watch, and that was enjoyable as as a fan of the team. But it wasn't like they were going out there and you know being the Pittsburgh Penguins or the Washington Capitals and just like destroying teams. They were winning a lot of close games, and it was fun. But it's not like they showed me in that ten game stretch that this was like a cup contender. It was fun. It wasn't like they were flexing their muscles though. All right, so uh, in this article they mention risk missing the playoffs in consecutive seasons for first time since the early 90s, and, quote, pressure is on both internally and externally, end quote. I said on a recent show that uh, if the season unfolds similarly to the way it did last year, Hackstall's going to be fired. Mm. But beyond that, who is actually this, who is under pressure? The core. And by, and by the core, mm. I specifically mean Giroux, Voracek, Simmons. Couturier? He, Couturier, maybe, but like he's a little bit younger, and I do think they view him as a guy on a good contract who still has his prime years ahead of him. Mm-hmm. Giroux, Voracek, and Simmons, if this team is bad again next year, I, I mean, I don't know if they can trade Giroux, Voracek, but I think they'll try. Yep. And then Simmons, <clears throat> I think very well get might get moved because he's only going to have one year left on a deal with a team that's been bad for two straight years. This is something that now that you mentioned Giroux, uh, he is entering his sixth season as Flyers captain. That is going to tie Eric Lindros for second longest in team history. Eric Lindros, who had the C, ripped off his sweater publicly. Oh, God. Second I, longest oh. tenured captain in franchise history behind, <laughs> of course, Bobby Clark. But uh, all I thought was... Wow, really? Like, first, it doesn't feel like he was made captain all that long ago. Yeah, it does. Does it? Yeah. I, yeah. It's been a while. Because that first year was with Pronger. Even though Pronger was out the whole year, he was technically the captain. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I always factored that into his, like, captaincy, but then it doesn't even count. I just feel like it hasn't been that long. And my number one reason I don't want to move Claude Giroux is I don't want to be the team that's constantly just blaming, oh, it's the guy with the C, got to get rid of him. But, like, this time might be the most warranted because he's got... 
he's his numbers have declined three years in a row, and he's got an eight million plus dollar cap. Well, hit. if they shit the bed again, I mean, you've got to, you've got to do something drastic, and and that's what trading a captain is. It's it's yeah. making drastic moves. Yeah, that I think Simmons because his. Contract is running out, and he's got a ton of like trade value, just what you can get for him for yeah. what he's getting paid. And Voracek, because he's overpaid and doesn't have the no-move clause. Drew, with the with the no-move and having the C on his sweater, I feel like he's not going anywhere. Yeah, I don't think It so makes either. it tough. Wayne has a no-movement clause, too. Does he? Mm-hmm. I thought it was a... Uh, like, or modi- no, it's a modified. I think he can reject for like 10. 10 teams yeah, something he can like that. turn down or something like that. It's interesting, though, going back to this core question, because I don't have the quote in front of me, but during the exit interviews, like, Voracek is a very, um, he's willing to give good he's quotes. He's delightful. Yeah, like, he's mm-hmm. he doesn't hold back when you ask him a good question. And someone asked him, basically, if you, you know, if you guys are bad again next year, do you expect the core is going to get shaken up? And he basically said, yeah. He essentially said, look, like... If we don't make the playoffs again next year, I don't expect things to come back the same way. They can't. Jake is like, look no further than how I got here. That team had a 100-point season and then just shit the bed because they all hated each other and got crushed by the Bruins, and that was that for that group. This team hasn't come close to that kind of success, and you got guys making a ton of money. Yeah, this is this is it for them. Yeah, absolutely. But but to hear that coming from yeah, Voracek oh. is big because that now whether Voracek was straight up told that by Hexel, whether he's just kind of intuitive that like that's coming from one of the leadership basically saying like yeah I know that if we're not good again next year like probably a big name's getting moved well, and, and, and he didn't didn't say it but like it might be him. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely a possibility. I'm going to jump down just to this uh, the NHL.com 31 and 31 preview. Uh, it was oh, just hold on, I just found the Voracek quote. All so sorts I'm... of different. Oh, you want that? Yeah, let's I'll, just, I'll, I'll read it. Yeah. Um, um, so the quote is, there's no reason not to believe in ourselves. It's tough to tell you something else. We have, what, won one series versus Pittsburgh in six years, right? If I'm not mistaken, it's not good enough. We're in our prime years. We've got to make sure that we set up our game and get this team to the playoffs and start winning some series because if we don't, it's going to get us broken up. We've got to win. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that in this in this thirty one and thirty one preview, they had some quotes from Ron Hextall, and one is just on Giroux and Voracek, and he says, "We need more from those guys. They know it. They want more from themselves. They know they're very good players, and they need to be very good players for us." It's not damning, but it's also saying, "Yeah, what are you getting paid for? Like you're you're making seventeen mil about combined." Uh, Time to get into the playoffs and do something, and I'm glad to hear that Jake basically echoed that because they know the pressure's on. He says they're in their prime years. I think they're behind him, so time to show it, Jake. Well, you're a little dramatic. Well, I mean, Drew probably, Voracek is at the tail end I, in terms of like the normal age curve. Like, think, But they're still in their prime. Yeah, well, I mean, Voracek is. Drew, is, what, Drew turns 30 this year, right? Uh, I don't think so. Hold on. I believe he's an 87 now. I don't know. I thought he was 88. All right. Uh, there was one thing in here about the, how the maturation of Provorov is. Yeah, he's the, 88. Is the key yeah, but to, it's like this season he turns 30, right? This upcoming season? Uh, January, yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, how the maturation of Provorov is the key to the defense. And <laughs> Wayne Fish writes, if Provorov is paired with Gudis or Brandon Manning, that will be the team's shutdown pair. To which, Wayne mo- Fish, to ladies which, and gentlemen. To which... My response was, if Manning is in the regular rotation, I'll fully support the coach's firing. Yes. If he's getting first-line minutes, I'll lead a protest <laughs> outside the Wells Fargo Center in the skate zone every day of the season. Oh, we're showing up, torches and pitchforks? I will Facebook Live it and be like the one guy at a protest just yelling. No, I'll come with you. I'll bring lunch. <laughs> and nothing against Brandon Manning. No, I like you, not. Brandon. You're, you seem like a good enough fella. You know, I like that you talk shit and get under McDavid's skin. That's cool. Homeless no, no, that's dumb. You're yeah. a nice little player. If you're getting first line minutes, I am going to lose my shit. <laughs> even I'm mean, even Dave Haxtall isn't that stupid, and this is why maybe you don't turn to a newspaper to find a guy to write your article. Just well, saying. It's, it's funny Look though. With, a blog. Yeah, it's funny with with the Manning thing. Like you said, if he's in the regular rotation, I'll be mad. I mean, I think he's. There's a good chance he is. At this point, he's probably the seven, if yeah. we assume that two of the rookies come up, McDonald stays in the lineup. But 
I've always said that even though I don't think there's much of a quality difference between Manning and, and McDonald, like I'd rather have Manning in the lineup for this reason, that if Manning's in the lineup, he's probably getting used on the third pair, whereas if McDonald's in the lineup, he's probably getting used on the first pair. So yeah. I'd rather have my, my not-that-good defenseman getting used in a role that suits him rather than my not-that-good defenseman getting in a role that's way above his talent level. Do you want him paired with Ivan Provorov? No, of course not. I don't no, want to get him first pair you. of minutes. It but is, that's absolutely just kidding. <laughs> yeah, it's when, I mean, Gudis is actually good. Yeah, like, Gudis, Gudis is, right is fine. Gudis is not the be, problem Gudis there. Gudis should be there unless one of these kids makes a tremendous jump. It should be Gudis. He's a right-handed shot, and he's the only one close to a first-line defenseman. I, I don't care uh, who they put there, actually, as next to Provorov, as long as it's not Andrew McDonald. And I'll add Brandon Manning. Yes. If it's yeah, neither of them, right. it's totally fine by me. Like Charlie said, if McDonald's in the lineup, he gets used in that role. It's never even been a thought in my mind that Brandon Manning is going to get yeah. paired with <laughs> Oh, my God, no. But now, <laughs> Steph, you asked earlier about, I said this has been a, a poorly run organization up until about uh, 2014, yeah. and you asked what's actually changed. And this is one thing I wanted to ask. Um, in this article, it says, Comcast Spectagore is, quote, in agreement with Hextall's build-from-within approach. Who is Ron Hextall's boss? So I think his immediate boss is Dave Scott, who's like taken over the Snyder role. Uh, but I think, in all honesty, there's probably a couple people that he answers to at Comcast Spectacore. But the thing is, as long as like as long as the team doesn't totally bottom out, they're still going to make money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like, like ideally, they're winning, and ideally, they're packing the place every night, and ideally, they make the playoffs and go on runs and make even more money. But unless they're ultra bad. People are still going to these games mm-hmm. because the Flyers fan base. Well, I've always said this: like, if you compare the Flyers fans to Sixers fans, there the Sixers fan base has more potential for bandwagon. Like, there's more people in the Philadelphia area that casually like basketball than casually like hockey. But I think there are more diehard Flyers fans than diehard Sixers fans. That building yeah. will be full unless uh, I can't. Uh... Well, that's that's what I keep saying about our events. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. Flyers fans will show up. They'll show up to games. They'll show up to happy hours. Flyers fans will not let you down. Like the, They will show up. This is where I was going with the who's Ron's boss question because I guess like you have Holmgren. You, you mentioned uh, Dave Scott. There's some people above him technically. What I'm asking, I guess, is what does Ron Hextall have to do to get fired? Um, We're all supporters of Ron Hextall to some extent. I like some of the things he do- he's done. I've disagreed with some of the things he's done. But overall, I think he's got this franchise going in the right direction for the first time in a long time. But what would he actually have to do to get fired? It would have to be like it, a five-year tank or yes, something. Yes, it seems as if the organization um, is just in his hands. I don't yeah. know I feel like that. they've kind of just... Ah. I, mean, I just... So, number one, the, the first thing that would, I think, set him on the path is... If Hackstall totally flames out, yeah, because the first if, if this thing really falls apart, the first guy that's going is Hack. Yeah. Then, then after he goes, then things need to get better. Then Hackstall needs to hire a better coach to replace him. And if that doesn't happen, if the next guy is bad and the team stays bad and all these prospects that he's pinned his hopes to, if they don't pan out, then you they they're gonna start looking at Hackstall. Uh, I, I, I don't think he's got like. I don't think he's good. He's in any danger of getting fired in the next two years. No. But I can envision a scenario where they're bad again, Haxel gets fired at the end of the year, next year they're worse, and all these kids who we think are going to be great don't pan out, and then Comcast is like, well, shit, now what do we do? I guess we got to make okay. a change. No, and then, or if he makes a lot of bad <laughs> trades and the prospects that he trades away are superstars and the ones that we keep right, are no, really but that's, bad. Like okay, it's, so it's, that's it's, what it's, I'm saying. What Ron Hextall has to do to get fired then is every worst case scenario. Yeah. True. Yes. True. Yeah. His first yeah. coach is a bum. His well, next, we know that his first coach happening. is a bum. Like Maybe. That's actively his next a coach, reality. His next coach is a bum. All these highly touted prospects that have become the number one farm system in hockey all are bums. So, like, and then he makes a bunch of bum trades to try to fix it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's if a, yeah. everything completely falls apart, is yeah. what you're telling me has yeah. to happen. Well, okay. yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah. That's what, and that's what I'm asking. So, it's kind of 
he doesn't have the relationship with whoever the hell the owner is. Com- this thing just says no, I Comcast think he does. Spectacor. I mean, he I, doesn't have the relationship Ed Snyder had with Bobby Clark. Those two were like father and son. All right, son. but but Fair. let's let's Ed hold, Snyder let's, fired his own son for firing Bobby Clark. Okay, let's back up a second. Comcast has owned this team for a very long time. Comcast has been a majority owner of this team since the nineties. But they kind of just gave it. It was Ed's team. Yeah, but it was like, Ed was like but Ed, but Ed had a board to answer to. Like Comcast has right, owned as long as this team, team is making for a long money. Time. Where the hell were they? When? The whole time. When we're giving friggin' Ilya $50 million, where was the board? That's the ah, thing. I don't think that they, they don't care this, if the exact, team is making money. That's the what I'm saying. That's, that's all they care I'm, about That's is what I'm saying money. is yeah. that it was in Ed's hands. They didn't give a shit. Yeah. I, I, see, it's funny you brought up the Briz thing because, to me, Snyder's influence, while well, Snyder obviously was the one who drove the Briz signing, the the types of things that I'm not sure the Flyers will be willing to do without Snyder is like buying out Briz. Because that was a move Fair. of basically Snyder saying, okay, we don't want this guy anymore. I know we're going to have to literally pay him for the next 15 years, but get him off my team. Yeah. Damn the expenses. With Snyder, he could go to the board and say, yeah, this is happening. I'm at Snyder. I don't know if the, the new Flyers post-Snyder yeah. would do that. Who even is the guy who would make that call is like, I don't know. That That's that's my question. Okay. Uh, where do we want to go from here, gang? Um, well, we were talking about the defense, and I want to bring up a conversation that we actually had am- amongst ourselves yesterday. Okay. Um, so on Twitter, um, let me see if I can pull this up because I just decided right now that we were going to talk about it. Um, Anthony... Um, Mingioni? Is that what you say? Yeah, Anthony Mingioni. Um, brought up a, an interesting question about a PTO, a professional tryout for, and now I can't remember the name of the Franzen. Cody Franzen. Oh, Cody yeah. Franzen, yeah. Um, Franzen or Franzen? Charles? I say Franzen. I yeah, say, me too. I say Franzen. Okay. Well, we, we do our best around here with names. <laughs> um, and the, the question was framed if we brought him in as, as a, um, a PTO. Would that be an upgrade on um, the current defense? And my immediate response was, well, it would be an upgrade for Andrew McDonald. It might be an upgrade for Brandon Manning. But as far as everyone else, like, absolutely not. That's the thing is those aren't the guys who would come out of the lineup. Exactly. exactly. So so I want to get into a conversation about that because Hextall did say um, that he wants to bring in a vet for training camp to create competition. To basically push the kids. Right, which is, in theory, all well and good, but I don't think you need to fabricate an element of competition. I think that it's already there. I think that the fire is already lit under their asses. There's only two spots, and there's... Or four guys. At, at least four guys. So you want to say there's, all right, we've got Moran, Haig, Sanheim, and Myers. Those are our four. But if you don't think that Mark Friedman and, I mean, if, if we want to say TJ Brennan, definitely Brandon Manning. I mean, these are all guys that are fighting for these same two spots. And you want to bring in someone else to muddy the waters and to create competition because you don't think there's enough? And apart from that, I don't actually trust this team to not give that person a spot over a rookie who's played better just because veteran leadership is good. I think that's the underlying concern for a lot of people is basically that like if we bring in a Cody Franzen and he plays well, that he doesn't beat out Brandon Manning. He beats out Robert Hager Samarant. Exactly. I think that's like in truth the underlying concern with the PTO and like – I like Cody Franzen. Cody Franzen is a good player. I like the fact that he's a right-handed shot. He could balance things out if he makes the team. And if, if the if the goal of bringing a guy like him in on a PTO is, okay, he's there in case three of the rookies fall flat on their face in camp, and if they don't, and then Franzen outplays Brandon Manning, Brandon Manning gets sent down, and Cody Franzen plays in the seventh. That'd be awesome. Do I think that would happen? I don't know. Maybe. But I, I get the concern that fans have with, like, if we sign a decent veteran, what if... Like, that gives them a reason to send one of the kids down. The the concern is not necessarily that. The concern is more, I know that Andrew McDonald is not going to earn a spot on this team in training camp, and I know that he's going to be on the starting night roster. Like, he's, if we're we're looking at training camp competition, and everyone has to earn their spot on the team, I know that there's going to be at least eight guys that are playing better than Andrew McDonald during training camp. 
And I know that Andrew McDonald is still going to make the team. Yeah, but they like, for whatever reason, and we've, we've discussed this ad, <laughs> ad nauseum, for whatever reason, they clearly like what they see in Andrew McDonald. So while we may look at it and say, yeah, he's the ninth best defenseman at camp by what we've seen in preseason games, clearly whatever they saw him do last season that we thought was god-awful, clearly they looked at it and was like, no, this is actually pretty good. <laughs> so, you know... Yeah, I agree with you to a point, but at the same time, like we're not using the same judging criteria clearly that they are. Because if but, we were, then McDonald would be a first pair defenseman. I'm looking at these. I'm looking at these Hextall quotes, and I'm I'm reading. We've got a spot or two up front. We've got a spot or two on defense. It's up to our kids to come in and prove that they can help make us a better team. Our feeling is now that our young guys have shown enough where they're going to get an opportunity to make our team. There was a point a couple of years ago we had some young names, but they. They weren't ready to play, not ready to make us a better team. We feel like we're at that point where they're going to get an opportunity now. What is the point? Every minute that uh, a Cody Franzen is on the ice is a minute that one of those kids should be and isn't. Because yeah. well, it's, it's, a, it's enough already with the waiting. It's enough Except, unless you just want him for the split squad games or something. Like, we already know Provorov is a lock. Ghost is a lock. Gudis is a lock. So there's 50% of your defense right there. What are we bringing in a guy who's not going to be? And if and it's he's, all. He's 30 years old. If it's all so about not, building, yep. that's all we've done is build for the future. What the hell is the point of some guy who's not going to be here next year? If, well, if they, oh, go ahead, Charlie. So, I mean, the, the thought process is basically that let's say camp hits, and okay, the, the, let, let me give a scenario where having a Cody Franzen might, might make sense. Camp hits, first game of preseason, Robert Hay gets hurt, and he's out for a month and a half. And he's therefore, you know, he might play at some point during the year for the Flyers, but he's not going to be ready. Sam Moran looks good. He's ready, he's good to go. Travis Sanheim struggles in the defensive zone, still needs that one more year. And Phil Myers, they don't think he's physically ready, so he goes down. Now you've got one spot going to Sam Moran. Robert Haig isn't ready. The two kids are still going back down. And now who's your, you know, what, what are you doing? That's a scenario where Cody Franza might make sense. No. <laughs> and then it's, and I then just it's, don't want a Dale Weiss on the defense. No, like Dale Weiss Carlo, is bad enough with the forwards. And then it's Carlo Koliakovo, and you look up, and he played fifty games. For Carlo Koliakovo was good. Co- yeah, Koliakovo was, I, he was good. better than half the defense they had that year. Oh, Not well, that that was saying underrated. much. And but. That's the problem when when the bar is Brandon Manning and Andrew McDonald. True. Yes, Cody Franzen is like, oh yeah, let's bring him in. But no, because then all three of those guys are in your lineup, and you stink again. I just, I, I understand. I understand the concept. It just makes me angry. Like, I don't think that you need to invent something that's already there. I, I don't think you need to recreate the wheel when you're already staring at When you at already one. have Jordan wheel. <laughs> like, well, there okay. you go. Hey. Oh, God. In, in the end, I don't know if that made it better or worse. <laughs> it was worse. In the end, I don't think this is going to be an issue anyway. No, because I don't who, think so. Well, whoever they, if they sign somebody to a PTR, and they might. They might bring Bill somebody. They, they might not. It's impossible for me to see a scenario where two of the kids don't blow the doors off of us because I just think they're that good. Yeah, I think so too. And I I said in my Q&A on Saturday um, that I I have my mission for Travis Sandheim is I I don't know what spasm you just had over there, but it was very distracting. Oh, that Travis Sanheim, his mission from me for training camp is to give Ron Hextall like no choice, like yeah, blow the hinges off the doors, and 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 give him no choice. Like there's absolutely no way that he can say. You're going back to Lehigh Valley. Make it Andrew McDonald go back to Lehigh Valley. Have you ever seen the fan, Travis, hire someone to take out McDonald? <laughs> okay, kidding. maybe maybe not going that I'm far. I'm kidding. Don't do that, please. No, it, it's uh, th- th- that would be a <laughs> Steph's like, well, I don't, even, <laughs> no, I don't even know what you're talking about. But Steph's if, but if it's never seen the fan. But if it's something Steph does a movie. If it's something it's related to like a Nancy Kerrigan, Tanya Harding, I mean. I've got your getaway car. <laughs> Jesus. No, I'm kidding. All right. Uh, I wanted to get to this because I found it interesting. Uh, TH, THN counted down uh, the top lines on each team, and they predicted the Flyers' top line is Konechny, Giroux, Voracek. Uh, and it came in at number 22 of 31 teams. And the article said the Giroux-Voracek connection 
was revered a couple of years back, but Giroux's production has declined three years in a row. They shouldn't be on the same line. They should not be Stop on the same it. line. No. Yeah, we've talked about this. We think they should be separated. Yeah, I would I would really like to see them separated. Uh it's I get why you would predict yeah. especially in one of these like national things. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. put the three most yeah. talented offensive guys and on the same line. Drew and Voracek have for the most part kind of been line mates. They've been a duo that the team has believed in at different points. And it was uh it was effective. I it, it just doesn't have the same Drew lost a set step. Uh, Voracek's goal scoring just kind of took a dip, and it just it hasn't just never, been the it same. Didn't, didn't come back. Yeah. yeah. So it's okay. We'll I just like Konechny up on that work. top line, though. I really, really want to see it. him take another step. I, I, I think Konechny's going to take a step this year, just because I think he's going to be given a larger role, <laughs> especially especially with the with the, the Shen trade, because <laughs> that opens up a spot in the top six, and I think Konechny's going to take it, like a so- spot on the wing specifically. Yeah. yeah I thought you were going to say a longer leash, and I don't think that that will happen, but. <laughs> Where I, Jordan Wheel, do you think he'll be in the top six? I would like him in the top six at least to start, not necessarily because I think he's legitimately a top six talent, although he might be. It's just because I like his fit. I, I particularly like how he fits with Giroux because mm. Wheel goes to the net, and Giroux needs somebody to go to the net because he hasn't went to the net for two years running now. And he can play a little pitch and catch with Konechny. It's two guys. It's kind of like a new Voracek toy line, for him. though. That is a very small line. You guys are talking to me about size? <laughs> is that where we are now? I want to just outskill teams? Hello, have we met? I'm, I've been I'm, talking about size for the past 10 years. I don't need to know about your personal life, Steph. I'm actually... Well, actually... When I say you guys, I mean Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanna oh, go, I, no. want, I want a top line to go out and outskill guys, and you're going to tell me it's too small? No, it's fair. I, I am kind <laughs> of like, a, like arguing against a point I've made before, but I guess for me it's just that I want to put Claude Giroux in situations where I think he's likely to succeed, and... To do that, I think he needs to be with certain kinds of players at this stage of his career. And I don't know if I can depend upon Claude Giroux to win puck battles in the corner anymore like I could four years ago. So I want to have somebody on the line who can. That That's sort of my thought process. What is now. your ideal top line? Uh, I think the the top line I had in my head was uh, Wheel, Giroux, Simmons. But it, it, to be totally honest with you, the, the true top line of 5-on-5 five five would probably be the Couturier-Voracek line because I think they're probably the two best 5-on-5 five five players they have that are on this team right now. I agree. And whoever and whoever's with him. We're, we're Giroux, with, with both of those guys. Giroux will end up with the ice time because of uh, power, power play. play, but Couturier is your 5-on-5 five five number one center, and that's why I want to put Voracek with him because those guys control the puck, and I want the puck. I don't want to surrender it anymore. I like, I like your thinking, Bill. I just, I'm so, you know, no, I, I stood up for dump and chase for a while. I thought there was a, I thought there was a place for it. There was a way to do it effectively. But you know what? After, after watching it for, how old am I again? <laughs> I, I just, I'm done surrendering the puck. I, I just want to, I just want to, I just want to create entries. And, Welcome and to the Corsi era. I just want to make plays. <laughs> I Team Corsi percentage isn't predictive anymore. I read that this week. Well, no, you it sounded is. really smart right then. It, uh, it was, and it Charlie Yost. just told you that you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it. It was Yost. I just read it. Um, I think, I he, I, I think he said. Opinion. I think he said the opposite. I think he said it is still. I think it was just a question. Has it lost its predictive yeah, nature? Yeah, and, and his, his conclusion was no, it hasn't. It was a lot of numbers. I don't think I got <laughs> to the end. Um, he eats nachos with a fork, fam. Yeah, he has some bad food opinions. Sometimes really you got when you really get to the end of the nachos, you got to go with a fork. Yeah, but only when there's no chips left. No, like when the chips are just sog at the bottom, when it's just no. He queso. placed no he placed a chip fingers. in the tines of the fork and shoveled it into his mouth that way. All right, I want to finish up the top twenty-five, under twenty-five. I'm sorry, now. that was an important topic. Oh yeah, we we are getting to the end of that. We yeah, are. I wanna, I, uh, tomorrow, number one will get announced, and I don't. This feel show like, is a who mess. Who could it be? I don't feel like taking number one all the way to next week when it's the most obvious one. So uh, I'm just gonna read seven to one now. Spoiler then, alert, fam. And then we'll discuss uh, number seven. The Swedish sensation, Oscar Lindblom. Six, Travis Sanheim. Five, finished way ahead, uh, Travis Konechny. Mm-hmm. Tied for third, Ghost and Nolan Patrick. Two, Sean Couturier, still under 25. And number one, the With number one D-man, Ivan Provorov. We, we believe. I mean, it hasn't been released yet, but. Yeah, maybe uh, it's, well, he maybe hasn't, it's he Connor, wasn't. Connor, what's his Connor, Connor Bonneman. Yeah. 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 Num- Connor number Bonneman. one. Carson Twent, Turensky. Turensky, yeah. Carson Wentz. 
Kelly just knocked herself Sorry. out with a microphone. It's, spoiler, it's actually <laughs> it's actually Reese here. Hoskins, actually. Oh yeah. yeah. We have that. Uh, I don't even know where you're reading this from. What right? It's right on. The, it's it's, in it's red, at the very bottom. bottom. Which brings us to the conclusion Thank of the you. top twenty-five under twenty-five, and then it's the list. Yeah. So we have the seven, which is cool, and uh, like there's points here where you can probably argue, especially I would say like I had Limblom over Sanheim because while I think Sanheim's is, actually I'm not even going to say that it's because I think Limblom's floor is higher than Sanheim's and I think Sanheim and Limblom's ceilings are fairly comparable so I, I it's hard for me to imagine Limblom not being at least a useful NHL forward I could see Sanheim just not being able to play defense at the NHL level I don't think it's going to happen but I think it's possible this offends me on a personal level <laughs> so I put I put Limblom over Sanheim but obviously we had Sam Sanheim over Limblom and then the top four I think aside from Provorov being number one which I think everybody can basically agree on you could have put Gosses, Bear, Patrick, and Gatoure in any order, what? in my opinion, and and, yeah. and and it would have been fine. Pro like rock. like Patrick being two, I wouldn't have blinked an eye at that. Ghost being two, I wouldn't have blinked an eye at that. Like those three, yeah, they're they're all like Patrick's obviously got prob got the highest ceiling out of the three, but he hasn't played in the NHL yet. Yeah. And then Ghost and Couturier are both established NHL players who probably aren't going to be superstars at any point, but they're very good. So. This is something I wanted to ask you about Ghost's uh, specific role. I read this week that among active defensemen who have at least who have played at least 100 minutes or 100 games since uh, 2009-10, Gossis Bear ranks first with an offensive zone start percentage of 64.78. His power play ice time is fourth among uh, NHL defensemen the past two seasons and is nearly 50 times the amount he spent on the penalty kill. And that part, obviously, because he doesn't kill penalties. Right. Uh, but right. he's got a very specific role. Yeah. And uh, I guess I marked him down. I believe I had Nolan Patrick ahead of him because of that. Like, do we see him making a jump? Or is what you see what you get now with Gostas Bear what we expect? I don't understand why people are down on Gostas Bear. I don't, Not I don't, down. I just don't understand what's happening there. What's happening is you see if what we talked about, that bias that coaches have. When an offensive defenseman isn't putting up well, the Well, our coach is stupid. Uh, yes. But when an offensive defenseman isn't putting up the eye-popping numbers, suddenly his warts in the defensive zone stand out more. Well, I think, like, I think it was Steph that said it 100 years ago, that they like a zero-dimensional player better than a one-dimensional mm -hmm. player. Because the one-dimensional player can only play one dimension. But God forbid... God forbid Pierre Edward Belmar learns how to play hockey and becomes a one-dimensional player. Like that would be An a vast improvement. <laughs> um, and then he gets credit for being improved, right? Um, I can't. Be I can't believe that you had connect me at number ten. Like I legitimately. Yeah, let, let's actually. Okay, let, let, let's hear your thought process there because I'm curious on this one. All right, let me bring up my actual list. Then I have it right here. Like um, I, I'm look. I'm looking at it, and my top I top twenty-five. All right, I had Provorov 1, Couturier 2, Ghost 3, Patrick 4, Sanheim 5, Meyer 6, Hart 7, Sandstrom 8, Haig 9, Konechny 10. And it comes down to how I value positions. So you have both the goalies above him. Yes. And you had Robert Haig above him. Yes. That's interesting, considering that Konechny has already proven he's an NHL player and those guys have not. It's how I value positions. Goal-scoring winger will never be as important to me as center or defenseman. And then the goalies, a starting goalie, we've never had one. Yeah. If they have a... We think Bill hates goalies, but really Bill wants to I hate want every one. goalie that's ever worn orange and black <laughs> since friggin' Bernie Perron. Every goalie during my lifetime I hate. B Bill, Bill, Bill wants to yeah, love a goalie. Bill loves like the platonic <laughs> ideal of a goalie. <laughs> <laughs> You love the idea. Yeah, I much want, it. and I if they have a stud guy you can throw out there sixty five times a season and mark down. Guess what? He's going to give up less than three. Then that to me is more valuable than a goal scoring winger because those are the guys you go out and buy. If you can home grow them and they turn out to be studs, absolutely awesome. But. I just feel like that's the easiest thing to go. But and it's buy. just the certainty. Like we know that Konechny is. Did he at show least you that good. much last year? Yeah, he was pretty good. I mean, he wasn't amazing, but he was nineteen. No, I'm expecting him to make a jump, and I'm expecting him to be very good. But last year, I just saw a lot of things I didn't love. I saw some things I really liked, but I saw plenty I didn't love. And ten isn't bad to me. I don't like. I don't feel like I'm disparaging him by putting him at ten. And the only guys ahead of him play much more valuable positions. I'm just surprised. Like, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have batted, like, you know, blinked an eye if he would have been, 
you know, we have him at five if you would have had him at seven or if you would have had, yeah, like if you would have had him the worst of all the guys who are clearly NHL players, I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's fair that he wasn't totally convinced. But once you start putting him behind players that haven't even, like, Haig, I guess, had the one game, but like Hart and Sandstrom are two years away at least. And to put him behind those guys, like, it's the certainty of knowing that Konechny is an NHL player versus those guys who not only are they goalies, and you never know what the hell is going to happen to those guys in terms of their development, like, they, they're not there. We don't know if they're even going to make the NHL. We all get to rank in our own way, Charles. Uh, okay. Yeah. I My top five... I have no idea who my my, my top five looked exactly like our Broad Street Hockey top five except I didn't I didn't have a tie for three I had uh, uh, Ghost at three connect nope I'm looking at Travis's list <laughs> I had Nolan Patrick at three and and Ghost at, four, Ghost at four which is how it worked out who'd I do Kelly you had Provorov one Nolan Patrick two Ghost three Konechny four Couturier five. I think past Kelly did a good job. There you go. Yeah. To to go back to Ghost real quick though, because uh, Steph, I think you mentioned why are people down on Ghost, and mm. then Bill, you said something to the extent of like, is he go? Is he what he is? Is he going to bounce back? So just to kind of combine not those even two. bounce back, just become. I don't even want to say. I figure if he's healthy, he's closer to the guy he was as a rookie than he was last year. I I, I am. Like ninety nine percent certain, he bounces back in the sense that he scores a significantly more points. Just because there's no way he's going to have the bad puck luck that he had last year. Okay. This and then you can you can throw the injury into it, sure, if you want to go for it. But like the puck luck he had last year was so unbelievably bad that it's just the chances of it replicating itself so slim. But if you're going to go back to like why would you rank Ghost lower? And my reasons is is pretty simple. It's just that. As great as he was as a rookie, you know, as, as okay as he was last year, whatever, like, he really hasn't driven play especially well at 5-on-5 five five in his first two years. He hasn't been bad. Well, he year hasn't, one, he, he had the anchor. He hasn't been alive. True. And, and, and <laughs> there are reasons to defend him. McDonald is one. Uh, the coaching staff's usage of him last year is another that maybe they got into his head. The injury is another. But... You now have a sample size of two years where Ghost is about break-even relative to his teammates in terms of Corsi. And do I think he can be better than that? Yeah, I do. I think he's got the talent level to be better than that. I like the skill set. I like what he's good at. But you have two years of him just basically delivering second-pair results of 5-on-5. And if that's what he is, that's what he's been. So if that's what he is, I can't put him over Provorov, certainly. I don't think I could put him over Couturier either because I think the center is more valuable. But that, that, that's sort of my thought because process of, this, of, of Ghost, they why both, I had him at four. I think I had him at three because I had him over Patrick because I go with certainty over over projection. They but. both play a specific role, but Couturier's is more versatile, I guess. So, yeah, I would if under under that They're criteria. They're pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you're, you're talking about basically a 2C versus a second-pair defenseman, and the 2C is a is a penalty kill specialist, and the, the second-pair defenseman is a power play specialist. So, like, they're pretty darn close. It just kind of comes down to what you value more. In NHL, I moved Couturier to defense and oh played them God. together. <laughs> you oh, my would. God. I had, I had <laughs> Nolan Patrick ranked above Shane Gossespair and Travis Konechny, which outraged a few people. Um, even though, I mean, a lot of people did that, but outraged a lot of people because Nolan Patrick hasn't played an NHL game. Both of those have, especially Ghost. Um, my my reasoning is pretty similar to what you both have been saying. The center is a more valuable position, and Nolan Patrick, he's a big guy, and he's supposed to play center, and he was the number two pick. Like my my projection for him is he's going to be the this season, the third most valuable 25 under 25 on the team. And that's certainly fair. If, if you're looking at Nolan Patrick as being the guy who was the projected number one overall pick for two years prior to this draft, or the, the prior to the draft actually happening, then I don't think it's... I wouldn't even be blown away if you put him first. Like, I wouldn't do it, but I think you can make a case. Projected number one? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I agree, Charlie. Man, you're just so much easier to agree with now that you're at the athletic. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's not. Now that he's the enemy. <laughs> Guys, I think sure. that 
is all the time we have for you on Broad Street Hockey Radio this week. Uh, thank you very much to 94WIP. Uh, thanks for that audio from the Lindros interview. Uh, thanks for the studio. It's awesome. John Barcher doing an amazing job as our producer. Uh, be sure to check out some of our partners, too. BGN Radio, best Eagles podcast in town. Uh, Felsky Files, outstanding Philly show. Uh, the Step Over Pod, and what's the other one? Liberty Ballers, two great Sixers shows. Uh, have a great week, Philly. And, oh, 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 and uh, please uh, sign up for uh, the Athletic Philadelphia. Uh, right now, we're taking like you sign up, put your email address in there, and on the launch day, which will be September fifth, we uh, will send you an email, and you'll have a discount for the year subscription. Remember, remember the fifth of September. <laughs> have a great week, Philly. Oh yeah, you like the Flyers? Yeah. The Flyers are a team. They play a sport called hockey. We're gonna talk about the hockey team known as the Flyers. Thank you very much for turning on this show. In case you didn't know, it's Pro Street Hockey Radio. Bill and Kelly and Steph and Charlie, they all love hockey, specifically the Flyers. Let's go the Flyers, the hockey team, the Flyers. Win all of the games and then the Stanley Cup. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seems Smart. It Seems Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seem smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>